The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, even though you may have taken the correct dose of insulin for the food you're eating, because you are now seeing that spike before your insulin starts acting, you're going to be like, oh, what the fuck's going on? And you start reacting and you start freaking to your high blood sugar. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, <laughs> hello everybody. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast with myself, Owen Costello. As you know, hope everybody's well. Today, episode 42. Can't believe it. It feels like just yesterday we aired episode one. But thankfully for episode 42, I have a very special guest, Mr. Graham O'Toole. Hey, Graham, up? thanks for coming on the podcast. What's up? <laughs> I've been type 1 diabetic since I've been four. Um, I was really thirsty, and now I, I'm here. Yeah, do you want to just jump back <laughs> to when you were diagnosed? <laughs> it's good to be back. We were just saying there, it feels like forever since I've been on. But it's only been, I'm trying to see now, protein. When was protein? 38? I've lost my episodes. Mm, yes. here. Protein with yeah, thirty. I feel like you haven't been on here in ages. People, people, everybody's missing you, Graham. Three. So I think a month. A month since I've been on. Really? Yeah. Well, it's good to have you back. Well, can I just say, since I've been gone, you've had some incredible guests. Can I just do a special mention for Brendan Mao? Or sorry, Brandon Mao. I actually, no word of a lie, I had tears in my eyes when I was listening to him. I was like, what the hell? His story is incredible and when you think about his story and all I was thinking about was if ever you're having a bad day and obviously people can have bad days and all that but if you're having a bad day and you think oh oh, this didn't go right for me today think of what Brandon has gone through in his life like it's bad enough having to navigate being a type 1 diabetic but everything else that he did and if for some reason you're just joining us at episode 42 here Please go back. Well, go back to listen to them all if you can. <laughs> but listen <laughs> yeah. to Brent, Brandon. I keep calling him Brendan. Brandon Mao. His story yeah. is incredible. And then I followed him on Instagram off the back of it. He seems like such a nice guy. Yeah, he's a gent. And I, I had connected with him 
a few times through Instagram and just like social media or whatever. And like you have brief conversations with people online. But when I was actually speaking to him, I was speaking to him for a good while before the episode and then a good while after we finished recording. A gent. Yeah. But, oh my God, that story was insane. And I think I actually I actually said it in the podcast a couple of times where I was so invested in actually just, of course, I was listening to a story, but it was blowing me away. It was unreal. And he was telling the story a few times and then he would stop talking. And obviously he's on my podcast, so I need to keep it going. And I was genuinely speechless. It was insane. His story is just... Just before... I don't want to obviously have the whole episode about last week's episode. <laughs> but the main thing, obviously, there's a hundred things that are unbelievable from a story. But the main part of it that really jumped out at me was the fact that he was living with an average blood sugar reading of 2.5, which is about 40, 45 for American listeners. The average his blood sugar was was 2.5 for three years. Because I obviously can listen to you and the guests you have on the podcast when you're talking about your levels, but I obviously will never understand what it feels like to go high or low. Just quickly before we get into this week's episode, if you were having an average of that, how would you be feeling? Like when you get, have you have you gone that low or what's going yeah, on? Yeah, my, my lowest ever, I think was... 1.5 so what would that be what's my math is not good on the spot <laughs> so 1.5 by 18 is 27 so 20 that's the lowest i've ever been right in that moment your body is essentially a couple minutes away from just completely shutting down and it's like i always describe it as if your whole body is melting and it's like you you have a very very limited space of time to get glucose into your body to bring yourself back up before you pass out or before you go into a diabetic coma. It's just unbelievable that that was his average blood sugar reading. It's insane. Well, there we go. If you haven't listened, listen back because it's so good. But let's talk about this week's episode. Mm. We are getting in the Christmas mood. We're going to talk about navigating the holidays with diabetes. I'm wearing my Christmas jumper in celebration, we are just a week out from Christmas now, if you're listening to it on the day of release. And hopefully some of the tips Owen's going to give you now over the next half an hour or so will help you navigate the holidays. So Owen, where do we start? What's the biggest thing we got to look out for? So like most things in life, if you live with type 1 diabetes, whatever you're doing will be more complicated. And that doesn't exclude the holidays. So Christmas and any other holiday uh, that you'd be celebrating. It's difficult because there's more drinks, there's more food, there's later nights, all these sort of things. Maybe not as much this year with the virus, but things will be different to average day life. So I've broken this episode down into, I suppose, my top tips to navigating your way around the holidays with diabetes to prevent diabetes getting in the way of your enjoyment of the holidays. Well, because I I know from just listening over the last however many months we've been doing this, one of the main things you always talk about is routine and trying Mm. to stick to a routine. And we all know about Christmas, routine goes out the window. We don't know what day it is. We're not going to work. We're not getting up at the same time. Meals are all over the place. And as you said, there there is more partying, be it 
at a lesser extent this year. So carbs, I know that's a big thing. It's going to be a lot of different food. How can we navigate that during the holidays? Yeah, so carbs or carb counting is probably one, well, it certainly is one of the most important aspects of managing your diabetes because the vast majority of the food most people eat will be primarily made up of carbohydrate. If you don't know your insulin to carb ratios, eating a simple meal is going to be an absolute nightmare. So if you don't understand or you're not sure of your carb ratios, definitely prioritize that over the next few days. Get yourself a little notebook, write down what you eat, write down how much insulin you take, write down how your blood sugar has reacted to that meal and that specific amount of insulin so you can determine how much you need per gram of carbohydrate. Generally, you will start out with one unit of insulin, fast-acting insulin, to 10 grams carbohydrate. This can completely depend on person to person. Your insulin sensitivity, your activity, the type of food you eat, all these type of things. So definitely, definitely, definitely understand your specific carb ratios because you're going to be eating a lot of roast potatoes, a lot of chocolates, a lot of just a lot of crap over the holidays, basically. What's your Christmas dinner like? Do you have turkey, gravy, potatoes, all the trimmings? And how do you counteract that with insulin? It can be tough. So generally with a, a big Christmas dinner, there's going to be meat, veg, potatoes, the roast potatoes will probably be made with a lot of oil and that high fat content is definitely going to lead to a delayed blood sugar spike. So what I would typically do is I would treat my Christmas dinner similar to how I would treat takeaway food. It's obviously not half as bad Mm. and I don't require half as much insulin, but because I can expect and anticipate that delayed spike as a result of the higher fat content that I'm used to, I will probably take half of my insulin before, half of my insulin maybe 15, 20 minutes after I eat the meal. And what about timings? Like, do you have to be very specific about the time you eat? Because I know like Christmas Day, there's opening presents and things change, you might miss out on lunch because dinner's so big. So how would you get around that? Yeah, so I suppose meal timing and insulin timing themselves are as important as insulin dosage itself right so it's not as simple as just understanding your carb ratios of course that's very important but if you don't understand i suppose the effects of how fast insulin can start acting how fast the food you eat is going to spike your blood sugar you're going to be getting those highs and lows so if you're pre-bolusing, and what I mean by pre-bolusing is injecting insulin prior to the food you eat, you can hopefully make an attempt to make sure that your insulin and your food are acting at the same time. So you want them meeting each other in the middle. You want your insulin acting. You want your food being released at the same time to prevent any highs or lows. Generally, the food you eat is going to spike your blood sugar a lot faster then your insulin is going to start working. So to put into put into context, if I am eating a bowl of pasta, I know that's not very, very festive, but just, just for <laughs> argument's sake, 
a bowl of pasta on Christmas Day. Pasta and turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dry. Yeah, pasta and chocolate for Christmas <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> but anyway, so if... <laughs> Merry Why Christmas, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, what a fantastic Christmas I'm having this year. So if I'm eating a bowl of pasta, let's say that's 50 grams carbs. If I require five units of insulin, I will more than likely take that insulin 15 minutes before I eat the pasta. Because people often underestimate how, how slow insulin takes to actually start acting in your body so that 15 minutes is essentially 15 minutes for your insulin to start kicking in your in your bloodstream then you eat the meal and trial and error will obviously lead to you knowing how long your insulin takes to act so the goal is to have your food released and your insulin acting at the same time is that why it would be smart then to avoid eating near bedtime so none of this is starting to happen as you're falling asleep. You kind of have it under control before you go to sleep. Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure we've touched on that a few times in the podcast before, but if you're reducing the food you eat closer to your bedtime, you're massively reducing the risks of having highs or lows while you're asleep. So more more often than not, your fast-acting insulin is going to be active in your body, say, two and a half, three, four hours. So if you reduce the food that you're eating close to bed by two and a half, three hours, by the time you go to bed, you have a very, very close understanding of where your blood sugar is going to be throughout the night. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, if you don't pre-bolus or you are used to taking your insulin, eating your food straight after, you're almost straight away on the back foot. And it's like the food you're eating already has an advantage because chances are that's going to spike your blood sugar before your insulin starts. So even though you may have taken the correct dose of insulin for the food you're eating, because you are now seeing that spike before your insulin starts acting, you're going to be like, oh, what the fuck is going on? And you start reacting and you start freaking to your high blood sugar. And then you might double down on your insulin and then you start plummeting. And then that can lead to that roller coaster effect of highs and lows and highs and lows and highs and lows. What about alcohol? How does that fit in? How does it fit in? That's basically what Christmas is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we, we've done a full episode on alcohol before, but obviously want to touch on it again today because alcohol <laughs> plays a big role around the festive time of year of course and as a, again like most things it can be more complicated if you are diabetic so you just have to understand its effects understand how to drink it properly and responsibly so so much of drinking alcohol can depend on the type of drink you drink and the amount of drink you drink obviously drink responsibly all that kind of thing Yada yada, but well, to enjoy yourself. Yeah, of course. It's it's important that you make the right decisions in terms of the the drinks you're drinking. Like if if you are drinking vodka red balls five times every night, you can expect your blood sugar to not be that good. Mm. So it's about making slight adjust adjustish 
slight adjustments with the food you're eat or the drinks you're drinking to ensure that your bloods don't react too much. So generally, liquor won't have a massive effect on your blood sugar. I will typically drink whiskey or tequila neat. I know that doesn't affect my blood sugar, so I don't need to take any insulin at all. Whereas if you're drinking beers that are high in carbs or you're drinking vodka, gin, tequila, whiskey, whatever it is, with a sugary mixer, of course that's going to spike your blood sugar. So more often than not, you will need to take insulin for the drink you're drinking depending on its carb content. Now with that, the more alcohol you drink, the increased likelihood it is that the alcohol will then lead to a low blood sugar while you sleep because overconsumption of alcohol can cause your blood sugar to drop. And that's why we had touched on that, I think, before, Graham, in the alcohol episode. I think it was episode 17, if I remember correctly. But there were times where I would go out for a night out and I'd kind of just, whatever, enjoy myself, drink whatever, and eat something without taking insulin before I went to bed because I knew that that alcohol was just going to drop me while I was asleep because essentially the alcohol inhibits your liver's ability to release glucose into your bloodstream to help keep your blood sugar regulated or help keep you up essentially. So when I was going out, I was drinking whatever responsibly and (laughs) I would eat food before I went to bed without taking insulin to counteract that drop from the alcohol. And how long did it take you to figure that out? Because obviously managing your type 1 diabetes is a lot of trial and error. So I presume, and you were 19 when you got diagnosed, did it take you a while to actually, for that to click and go, ah, okay. Well, that was the only reason I was going out about five nights a week, just (laughs) for my own diabetic (laughs) trial and error. It's as good as insulin. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it took a while, of course. You need to have a good understanding of how your blood sugar is going to react to alcohol overall. Like, me as a diabetic could have a completely different reaction to a diabetic down the road or a diabetic in America or the UK. So for me, it was just always keeping a really close eye on my blood sugars, either keeping a physical or a mental note of what it was I was drinking. Now, not always on the night, on the night out itself, because that's probably the last thing on your mind, but just, yeah, as you say, loads of trial and error. And I just realized that over time that look, I'm always seeing my blood sugar drop. So maybe if I either reduce my insulin prior to bedtime or eat something without insulin, that's going to keep those levels high. Yeah, you're right. So if you want to listen back more on alcohol, that is episode number 17. In episode 10, we talked about foods and their effects on blood sugars. And I think we touched on chocolate. But let's revisit it now because it is very prevalent across the Christmas. There are boxes of celebrations, boxes of roses, quality street whatever the american equivalent is as well going around how can we make sure we're not going high and low when we're just having a few nibbles on chocolate over the christmas yeah i think chocolate chocolate is probably the most common treat that's hanging around the house this time of year as you say there's always like box of chocolates or the big tubs of chocolates and they're so easy to just pick at they're addictive and that, they're oh, addictive if, I, if the celebrations are in this house and they're there. I can't walk past them without taking a Milky Way or a Mars. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. So you just need to be cautious of the amount of chocolate that you are eating because even 
myself, I'm the same as that, Graham. I'm always picking, and I try not to because the more you pick, the more you snack, the harder it is to identify the true reading of your blood sugar because you don't know if your insulin is active, you don't know if the chocolate is active, and you kind of get lost in it. So a lot of the difficulty that can come come along with chocolate is the fact that it's relatively high carb, relatively high fat. Now, much like the Christmas dinner that I was just talking about, because of that high fat content, that's going to delay the spike. So the fat basically is going to slow down the digestion and the release of the glucose that you're getting from the carbs into your blood sugar and might cause a spike 45 minutes later, an hour later, whatever it may be. So what I find has worked for me in the past and what I would definitely recommend and what I'm going <laughs> to try my hardest this year to stick to is set myself a limit of chocolate per sitting and just say, right, this is the carb count. This is how I know this amount of chocolate will likely affect my blood sugar. So I'm going to try and stick to that. Now, easier said than done. Yeah. When you start eating chocolate, you just want more and more and more and more and more. But instead of picking sweets from the chocolate box as you walk by them say all right right now i'm gonna eat 10 of them and then i might eat another 10 in two or three hours but i'll know that my blood sugar has settled since then yeah and as well it's 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 probably quite likely that somebody will give you diabetic chocolate (laughs) (laughs) that's just the way it is eh? the the first few years that i was diagnosed Obviously, it comes from a good place because people are like, oh, you can't eat normal chocolate. Here's diabetic chocolate. And you're like, oh, yeah, class. <laughs> Thanks so much. So but, what, like, is, is it not supposed to affect your blood sugar levels or what? Well, it's replaced with artificial sweetener or like different types of sweetener. So it doesn't affect your blood sugar as much. But it's rotten. <laughs> it's disgusting. And if you overconsume diabetic chocolate because of the different types of sweeteners that they're using it will likely act as a laxative oh lovely which, lovely which you would know all about graham uh, i just asked santa claus not to leave any diabetic chocolate in my stocking this year please <laughs> yeah uh, graham's question, quite sensitive to that <laughs> question about basil rate should you increase it yeah so actually th- i know we keep touching on past episodes but we've already covered so much with past episodes so basal rates or basal insulin is your long lasting insulin so you will likely be on fast acting for me that's nova rapid long lasting for me that's lantus so in what episode we had tom allison on and we actually touched on that so tom allison is a diabetic from the uk and we kind of dived into basal rates in more detail why they're important how you can calculate them how you can adjust them blah 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 but a good rule of thumb for your basal rates and insulin in general. Now, I'm not a medical professional, but this is just the way it is. The more active you are, the less insulin you're going to require. The less active you are, the more insulin you're going to require. So the chances are <laughs> around the holiday period, you are going to be moving around a lot less. You're probably going to be watching a lot of movies Christmas TV shows, whatever it is, I don't know, whatever you like. But you will likely be moving a lot less, therefore requiring more insulin. 
So if you're confident of your basal rates and your long-lasting insulin rates, that's great. The best way to view them, and I think we touched on this again with Tom, was your basal insulin or your long-lasting insulin is kind of like an anchor. So if you imagine a ship in the water, your basal rate is that anchor that holds you in place. Now, the boat is still going to move around and your bloods are still going to go up and down. But if you have your basal rate calculated properly, specifically for you and your needs, that anchor keeps the ship in the same place as much as possible. Just a quick one in case I forget. Tom Allison is episode number 40. So that's just a couple of weeks ago, surviving COVID-19 and type 1 diabetes with Tom. And I do remember you did go into basal. Um, mm. But you had a kind of a, wasn't it a, a little bit of a maths equation to try and figure out your basal rate? Yeah, exactly. So you can actually do this at home if you are just curious to see how accurate your basal rate is at the moment. You can do this equation. So, Graham, you actually yeah, do yours. I got the calculator in front of me here. If you were diabetic. You know, if I had one... Christmas wish this year. <laughs> <laughs> it would be for you get type 1 diabetes. Fingers crossed. I've been Fingers good this year, crossed. so hopefully. That's on, that's on Santa's list. Please, please give Graham diabetes. Anyway, so the, <laughs> the best way to calculate your long-lasting insulin is multiply your body weight in kg by 0.55. So what's that, Graham? 39.6. So 39.6 gram is your total daily insulin requirements. Perfect. So I took 72 kilograms multiplied by 0.55 is 39.6. So 39.6, that's your total daily insulin requirements. Your basal or your long lasting insulin is typically going to be 40 to 50% of that. So Let's just say divide your total daily insulin requirement by two. Yeah. What's that? So uh, we're looking at about 18 to 20. So your basal rate would be roughly 18 to 20. Okay. Now, I did that for myself just to prove that it is accurate. So body weight in kg, 86 for me, multiplied by 0 0.55 equals 47.3. Divide that by two, which is 50% of my total daily insulin requirements which is 23.65. And my basal rate that I'm taking at the moment is 24. Okay. So it's pretty accurate. When do you take your basal in the morning, is it? Mm, it can depend. Most people take it at night. I like to split my dose. Okay. And people are, people are always like, why do you split your dose? What's the, what's the benefit? For me, I feel I am more comfortable taking two doses of 12 rather than one of 24. I know your basal rate acts for 18 to 24 hours, but I feel I have more freedom when I split my dose because I like to adjust it based on my daily activity, all these kind of things. The, the daily variables that can influence your blood sugar just gives me more personal freedom. Again, what works for you might not work for me. What works for me might not work for you. So you touched on there about you're probably not going to be as active as you are because you're watching movies, your routine's out the window, but I presume you would encourage people to at least, I don't know, not even go to the gym, but go for a walk, maybe a run or something like that. Try and get up off the couch as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for anybody listening to this episode right now, they know the impact 
that exercise or just movement in general would have on the blood sugar. It's just such a massive part of your overall diabetes management, just constantly, well, trying to stay active as much as possible. And that is even more important around the holiday season because like we've spoken about, you're moving less, you're probably eating more and something like a walk can just help to regulate blood sugar, clear the head, help with digestion, all these great things. Now, I'm not saying that you need to still pump the gym six days a week, whatever, you, whatever you're doing. For me, I will keep up my exercise routine because I enjoy it so much. Now, obviously, the gym isn't going to be open on Christmas Day or Stevens' Day, but I will go as much as I can because it's what I enjoy. And people would say to me, people would say to me quite often, I'm not, I'm definitely not exercising over the holidays. I hate exercising. And it's like, look, that's okay. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But I'm saying it's going to benefit your blood sugar management. And for anyone that says they hate exercising, that's not true. They just haven't found the type of exercise that Hmm. they enjoy. Our bodies are designed to move. They have to move. We feel good when we move. And I feel that exercise or working out is generally associated with going to the gym pumping some weights going for a run something that a lot of people might not enjoy but exercise can still be dancing in your sitting room yeah playing tennis playing football with your friends this is still exercise this is still working out that is essential to your diabetes management and again that doesn't change around the festive season it's more important so get out for a walk when you can Go out for a swim if you're one of those lunatics that gets up early and swims in the sea. I don't know how they do that. I think I'm going to do it this year. Are you? I don't know. Well, I don't. Depends on where you're listening, but we're living in Ireland and it's a big thing because we've got great beaches and stuff. I don't know if it's a big thing in America or the UK or it probably is in Australia. I know mm. we, we've a good few listeners in Australia looking at the stats, and but that's a, that's a different kettle of fish because it's summer over there and they're <laughs> yeah, having barbecues so on the weird. beach. Sand men rather than snowmen. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm going to do it this year. I think I'm going to run in. Are you? Where? Uh, what beach? So people can go find uh, it. Mayo. So Old Head oh. in Lewisburg, County Boo. Mayo, if Boo. you want. Will you be testing more over the Christmas period? Definitely. But I just want to say, just want to touch on one more thing. A good tip after big dinners, much like if you are eating out at a restaurant, if you're living with type 1 diabetes, try and get out for 15, 20 minute, half an hour walk after you eat your dinner. Because again, that's going to help regulate blood sugar and just settle things down nicely. But be careful of ice because it can be cold. And (laughs) do you know what I just thought of? You know, you know the guy on RT News that slips. Yeah, every year, ten years old that clip. So, if you don't know, what the the news channel over here we're doing a report on there was like massive snow ten years ago, and they just happened to catch a guy slip, jump up, and it was like cartoonish, and then smash himself on the <laughs> on the ground. It's become iconic. Over yeah. here, it, search into Google now. Man slips on ice, Ireland, twenty. 10 and it will pop up they, show it, they show it every year without fail it's hilarious the poor chap it looks like he breaks his skull but he should get him on the podcast <laughs> imagine special guest yeah. but going back to testing will you be testing more then 
Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose testing blood sugar is much like, let's go for another analogy here. Go for it. Te- I haven't <laughs> heard one in a while. Live. What? I haven't heard one live in a while. <laughs> I know. Here we go. This just came to my head. Ooh, let's hope it works. So testing, testing your blood sugar is like walking around with a map. So if you're living with diabetes and you're not checking your blood sugar, you don't really have any idea what direction you're going in. You've no idea if you're going high, if you're going low, if you're steady, how you're reacting to certain foods, how you're reacting to stress, exercise, all these kind of things. Similar to that, if you're out for a walk somewhere and you have no idea where you are, if you don't look at the map, you're just walking around aimlessly. That worked. I, I was waiting for uh, you to bring in something was the compass. Would you... Oh, yeah, and the compass. Yeah, put that in too. <laughs> Would your insulin pen be the compass? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, look. <laughs> I'll stay out of the analogies. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Owen. Ruined it. <laughs> anyway, yes, absolutely. I'll be testing probably more than usual because I will be, again, probably moving less, eating foods I'm not necessarily used to eating as much of. So I want to be able to see how my bloods are, what direction they're going in to avoid massive, massive spikes that continue for the whole night or too many lows. When you say you're going to be testing, will you, and you've got the Dexcom, hmm. does that automatically test for you or will you be finger pricking as well? Well, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have a CGM. So, um, I will just check my watch on my phone. Yeah, but just be checking it more, more than I. Yeah, checking it a lot more. Yeah, and look, I've I've had finger pricks for years, and I know how frustrating it can be. Um, it's a lot less convenient than having a CGM, but just as important to check your blood sugars, particularly around the holiday season. Look, there's a lot of great tips there, but I presume like you can do as much as you can, but there's a strong possibility that you're going to get your levels fluctuating however good you are. Is that to be expected over the Christmas especially? Yeah, 100%. And I think, I suppose, much like living with diabetes on a normal day, such an important part of it is just realizing that it's never going to be perfect. Like, as I've said a million times on here before, I proudly look after my diabetes and I more often than not have good levels but that doesn't mean that i don't have days where i'm like fuck this really hot like really high readings really low readings it's just gonna happen no matter what you do it's gonna happen so it is expected if you're out of that routine you're eating foods you're not used to you're eating more you're eating at different times you're drinking more alcohol whatever it may be so don't let your blood sugar readings affect your mood as much as it can don't look at your blood sugar and it's it's dropping again or it's high again you're like oh for fuck's sake like and throwing your hat at it and getting pissed off and getting really annoyed just take a step back and say okay look it's unfortunate that i have to manage this over the holidays nobody wants to deal with it but the harsh reality is we do have to deal with it so don't let it affect you as much as it can because as I preach on here all the time, it's about how we react to things that's important. So don't react to your blood sugar and let it ruin your day. Say, oh, shite. 
it shouldn't be that way. Why is it that way? And how can I improve for the next time? Rather than, oh, for fuck's sake. And then throwing your hat at it. So yeah. just keep a positive mindset, keep the head up and enjoy the holidays. Owen, thank you very much for those little tips and tricks over the holidays. Fingers crossed uh, you've, you've, got, you've picked up something from that. Again, if you have any questions for Owen, give us an email, theinsulowenpodcast at gmail.com and rate, subscribe, share the podcast. Let's get the word out there. Absolutely. If you're getting good value from this podcast, which I hope you are because you're still listening, really appreciate it, first of all. But a rate, a comment, subscribing really helps us reach more people. And that's always the goal. Building that diabetic community, helping as many diabetics as we can out there. So, again, do what you can to help and keep listening. Cheers, Enjoy all. the holidays, everybody. Bye. Take it easy.